Welcome to the Mojo Mecca. We are a media, wellness and artistry hub that is in celebration of the earth, inspired to live in a mindful, healthful way, humbled by the depths of inner exploration and the power of practicing daily rituals, in love with the beauty of cultures worldwide and the adventurous nature of travel, and dedicated to a life of heart-centeredness, purposeful pursuits, and a whole lot of mojo. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, I haven't created or shared a an interview for a while, so I'm really excited to share this one with you guys. Um, before we dive into this episode, I just want to firstly give a lot of gratitude for everyone who's been supporting the most recent products we've been putting on the Mojo Mecca. We first launched um, a beautiful handmade collection of jewellery um, in collaboration with Nikila Collective. She designs everything very small scale, family run in Bali. Really beautiful Um brass work that yeah that I wear daily and um, I have done for years so it's definitely a dream come true to share that and weave that um, with her onto the Mojo Mecca. We're actually doing a little sale maybe it'll be gone by the time that you're (laughs) listening to this but I'll put this up and it'll still be on for another two days Um, a 20% off sale of all the jewelry with the code love so definitely jump onto that as soon as you can otherwise um yeah we've made the prices really accessible anyways for you guys to collect also we have a beautiful handmade um handcrafted uh botanical blend from a herbalist called maddie of malachite herbal she has created a one-of-a-kind blend specifically for the Mojo Mecca, which I have called um, Aroma Mojo. It's an all-natural perfume blend. And if you followed the Mojo Mecca for a while, you know we're into all things natural beauty and very minimal beauty products um, due to just the amount of crappy ingredients and chemicals that get put into them and you know if we can avoid that then um that's great (laughs) and especially perfumes I feel like there's just so much crap added in there the fragrance and the perfume and you know all of the different things that get in added in there um and that we put on very sensitive parts of our bodies that and very like absorptive um parts of our bodies so Anyways, Aroma Mojo is completely natural. Um, you can check it out on the mojomecha.com slash market. And um, yeah, just go in there and have a read of the ingredients and everything. Um, and if you're inspired to collect that and you're a podcast listener, uh, I'm offering a um, one-off uh, discount code for people who listen to the podcast. So if you put in the discount code podcast, you will get 10% off Aroma Mojo. Um, So definitely take advantage of that if you've been failing to adorn yourself with that scent. I love it. I 
wear it every day. I think it's a really beautiful blend and I love what she's concocted for us. So, yes, thank you for listening to those offerings that we have available. It's been so cool to keep building the Mojo Mecca market and there's a lot more to come. I definitely am going to be designing some things again myself because I love doing that (laughs) as much as I love um, collaborating with other creators. I really am a creator myself and I'm excited to share new offerings um, from my heart too. Anyways, without further ado, uh, let's let's start uh, talking about this conversation. So in this podcast, I'm diving in with the incredible Eliza Giles. So she's a yoga practitioner and has been for over a decade and has dedicated, well, it's her life's work, but um, up until now, just so much time and energy and love and passion into the study, the exploration of, and also the celebration of yogic systems. And she seems to merge really beautifully the ancient philosophies with um, modern relevance, I guess, and and just bridging those two worlds together um, through the classes and workshops and retreats that she holds. She really works with and services um, a broad spectrum of people too, which you'll you'll find out about the different sort of um, work she does with different demographics. Um, Yeah, so through this lens of yogic and Vedic philosophy, mythology, story and ritual, um, through which she kind of navigates the world herself and and teaches, we explore, (laughs) there's a lot of different things in here, so just bear with me. Um, Firstly, we explore her deep connection with India. And this saw her living and beginning her study into yoga there at the ripe young age of 17. Um, So, yeah, we explore so many different um, teachings that she learnt there. Traditional um, Ayurvedic practices that really helped her to release a lot of trauma that she had when she was first beginning her yogic study. Um, and rituals for self-love and self-nurture. She dives into, you know, her vulnerable journey with PCOS and balancing her hormones and, you know, that ongoing um, journey she has going with that um, and how she's navigated the worlds of, you know, her body changing and growing through the years. And we also both have the connection of having um, gone through eating disorders previously in life and, and, you know, navigating that as a woman in, you know, society today and the pressures that we feel and just all of that, (laughs) that I know we can all relate to in some way. So yeah, through that journey, she's really, really tapped into um, the power of rest and how much we all try to avoid it or are taught to avoid it in modern society. And um, yeah, just the power of sleep, rest and restorative energy in, in really coming into harmony and regeneration in our body, mind and spirit. 
She speaks about this particularly in relation to yoga nidra, which is like yogic sleep or basically um, kind of yogic death, um, which you kind of do in Shavasana. That's kind of the, the vibe or the aim of Shavasana um, through, through practice anyways. We really dive deep into mythology and particularly through the goddess or archetype Durga or Maha Durga. Um, and so if you don't know much about this particular goddess, you definitely will do after this <laughs> conversation. But just to kind of, um, I won't like spoil anything that she, she dives into, but um, Maha Durga is the strong protector, the activist kind of archetype, um, the one who's very clear on boundaries and justice and that, that sort of decisive energy um, that is still really feminine and, and loving, but for more of a really like clear um, space. So she really talks about that and um, how we can embody more of that energy in our lives and, and how we're kind of um, taught to not um, really step into that sort of energy, but how important it is in, in our time now to be that activist and to and to how that really is being woken up in a lot of women and men too. But I feel like definitely in the women that that fierce love, you know, where we are really standing up for what we know is right. Um, and yeah, I guess within that same like framework of, of speaking about the goddesses, she, she touches on Kali and how um, we are actually in a time of the Kali Yurga and Yurga is kind of um, translates to like a, a time or like a time period. Um, and so she speaks about that being the time that we're in on earth and Kali represents obviously destruction and um yeah, she's basically the the divine destroyer of all things that need to be destroyed in order to make room for new growth. So obviously that's a time we're in on earth and that's why a lot of stuff is just moving and shaking and um, crumbling <laughs> within us and within um, on a collective level too. And so we speak about yoga as a part of that collective movement too and, and her place within it and her place as a teacher and also, you know, some of the pressures that go along with being a teacher and the the kind of idea of perfectionism or, you know, people putting you on a pedestal, expecting you to be like in perfect health and radiance. And she connects that back, obviously, to a PCOS journey and um, not always feeling completely in harmony and just removing the pressure, really. And um, yeah, just always coming back into her pace and her sense of harmony and rest. That's definitely a general theme of, of this podcast is the power of sleep and those fundamental um, pillars of health that we often take for granted, I think, um, in the pursuit of, you know, like various practices and all of this sort of thing. But if you don't have those fundamental um, pillars of health down, then it's, it's hard to really build from that place. Yeah, so we share about a lot more, but um, I will let her, um, yeah, speak to you <laughs> about all of that because I think she really articulates herself in a beautiful way. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. My parents practiced yoga, even though they're um, computer developers and not, you know, crazy hippies or anything like that. Uh, but my, one of my dad's friends had been an investor in one of the big studios here. And 
I think my dad just said to him at one point, mate, you're so happy all the time. What do you do? And he was like, oh, I do yoga. And they were like, okay, we'll give it a go. Um, and, you know, I was in that ripe kind of teen age and a pretty uh, unsupportive environment in terms of friends and uh, I guess modern day society, you could say the least. And I was having a lot of problems with uh, sleeping and eating disorders and um, feeling like I fit in and, you know, all the turmoil that comes along with that age. And I remember going to the first class at a power yoga studio and there was about oh, maybe 70 people in the room or something. And it was so hot and we got to the point everyone was standing up and everyone started arming together and it was beautiful. I mean, the resonance was so strong and powerful. There were so many people in the room and they were so dedicated. And I was just there with my eyes open, looking around thinking, what kind of hippie bullshit are my parents into? Like, is this a cult? What is going on? Um, and yeah, like I left the class and, you know, I thought it was kind of weird and, then a few days later, my parents were like, we're going to yoga. Do you want to come back? And at first I was a little bit resistant, but I, I wanted to go back. And yeah, and then it just kind of got to a point where I would really, really enjoy going with them. And I was all up for it. I even brought one of my good girlfriends at the time. And I think she had the experience that I did the first time, but then proceeded to like poke me and try and talk to me for the whole class. And by this point, I kind of knew that you don't talk in the class and that was not really cool. And I was just mortified inside the whole time. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never bringing her back here again. When we were laying down in Shavasana, she was poking at me and like trying to giggle and make a joke of it. And I just remember thinking, oh God, no. Um, and then when I was 16, I, I went to India with my family and my dad was doing some work over there. We just went for maybe two weeks, if that. And I just had this subtle feeling that I felt so at home there that there was something about the, the absolute chaos of life that made me feel at peace and at ease. And um, yeah, when I came back, I eventually got it in my head that I, I had to live there. Um, so when I was 17 years old, I moved there with my boyfriend at the time. His parents were Canadian diplomats, so they took a posting in India and we would spend about half the year in India and half the year in Canada. I quickly learned it's way, way too cold in French Canada. We'd get down to like minus 40 degrees. And so we were based in Bombay, but did a lot of traveling all around. And, um, you know, I did some yoga over there. It was really, really different to any of the yoga I had done in the West. And um, yeah, so eventually I was, back living in Canada and the relationship that I was in was uh, really unhealthy and toxic and abusive. And I, I realized one night that I was, I was going to die if I stayed, if I stayed where I was. I had just come back from India. And when I was in India, there had um, been a situation over there that was pretty violent and, um, you know, in front of his parents and, I, I ran away and I wrote to my mom and I said, please get me a ticket home. And, um, you know, I found out later that there was like, you know, hacks in my computer. He always knew information about me that I didn't know how he knew. Um, and so, yeah, she got me a ticket home. And when I got back, things escalated and I just, I, I ran. 
I ran from the apartment and I ran from everything and came back to Australia and was so unhappy. I was really mentally unstable and I decided to move up north uh, to India, just north of Rishikesh and studying an ashram there. I had kind of come back to Australia and I was only 20 years old and everyone that I knew was, you know, studying business at university because that's what they thought they should do because they didn't know what they wanted to do with their lives. And I didn't, I didn't want to do that. And I, I remember my mother asking me, you know, what do you, what do you want to do? And I just wanted to make people happy. And yoga was the only place that I was connecting to that. And so I thought I'll, I'll share yoga with people. My parents said, great, we'll think you'll be great at that. So I went off and studied uh, up in the north. I lived in Nashram there for about two months. And yeah, it's been a nonstop journey since then, really. Yeah, wow. So in the Ashram, did you dive into some like teacher training and, and studies with the... Um yeah, guides, gurus, I don't know how, how you call them. Yeah, yeah, there was um, a Swami there and there were some really, really profound teachers. So I did a teacher training that was so different from what I could have ever expected from doing yoga in the West. You know, you would get up really early in the morning and do all these shatkamas, which are cleansing processes um, or techniques up on the rooftop. So it'd be up there and some of them are pretty intense. You drink 10 glasses of warm salt water and then you do uh, now the exercises where you're manipulating the muscles in your belly and massaging the internal organs. And then you create spasms in the base of your diaphragm to help you purge this water back up. And, you know, you're like on this rooftop and there's monkeys coming at you and you're just, it was so ungraceful, a lot of it. Um, and even the, the philosophy that we study was so embedded in mythology, which is something I'm so passionate about now and knowing their, their kind of lineage behind the science that does dive deep into this element of mysticism and story. And uh, yeah, it's so kind of colorful and rich that I was really consumed in that. And we, I was really lucky when I got there, I had sat down with the Swami and um, you know, he'd asked me what had brought me here and um, had I dealt with any trauma in my life. And I told him what I had just kind of come out of. And he explained that in experiencing that kind of trauma, there's a huge amount of trauma that gets stored in your pranic body. Mm -hmm. And so I had some Ayurvedic uh, doctors. I actually had a woman, a woman doctor, which is really, really rare. Uh, in I guess back that time it was over 10 years ago almost 10 years ago um, and especially up in this little area that we were and especially in that kind of area of Ayurveda at the time um, who you know sat me down and looked at everything that I'd experienced with the trauma that I had done to my body and my reproductive organs with this kind of control and relationship that I had with food when I was a little bit younger and then um, the trauma of the relationship that I had been in and um, the violence and everything involved in that. And so I really had this beautiful support team to, to help undo these really deep seated kind of um, 
traumas and emotional disruptions is whenever we experience something in our lives, you know, we don't always process everything and what we don't process gets stored and everything that's affecting our emotions is affecting our breath, which is affecting our prana. And it starts to leave a blueprint. So the energetic landscape of our body gets really shaped, especially in these big life events that can be really disruptive. And it just has a ripple on effect to how we're functioning every day on on such a foundational basis, you know, this kind of homeostasis is shifted slightly off center, which can just send you in a trajectory if it's not corrected to, to serious illnesses and instabilities in the body and the mind, which I think, you know, across a lot of, a lot of our society, we're really starting to see the impact on this in a lot of the kind of diseases that are being brought to the surface and are brought to light are becoming so so common these days mm-hmm. yeah i do i do definitely agree like it just feels like um those polarities are getting more intense in some in some way mm. you know? like if you're out of balance then it will i guess um you know manifest or be you know be shown through your physical body and or like more and more heightened emotion and um, it's like we can't really get away with it anymore, you know. <laughs> no, and we just underestimate how much how much pressure we're under. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was talking to someone about it this morning. This idea that uh, grown ups aren't actually mature, and people are saying like, "Oh, be mature, or grow up, or you know, act your age and everything." And the older I get, uh, the more I really see that grown-ups are not behaving in mature ways at all. I've had a few situations in my life, this um, big, big drama uh, with the house that I'm living in at the moment and just kind of been schemed by a friend of mine and the whole thing. And it's just, it's so overdramatic and I can't understand the, how it's gotten to this point almost. I'm just flabbergasted. I'm like, oh, you know, just be, just be honest. Like we see what's happened. Let's just move forward and put this behind us, but it's dragged on almost nine months. Um, Mm. but you know, we are under, yeah, so much pressure that it's, it's definitely giving us signs, you know, in our physical bodies in our, in our mental health. And Mm -hmm. it's beautiful to see that so much of it is becoming more and more talked about these days as well. So for sure, for sure. Yeah. Wow. So what were the kind of um, ways that this Ayurvedic doctor was like holding you and helping you through this trauma release? And was it kind of woven through the yoga teacher training that you're into? And yeah, I'd love for you to like speak to that too. And um, I guess also like how you carry that forward through obviously being um, a teacher for many years since. Um, And yeah, I, I guess to do with um, trauma release and, you know, reharmonizing our emotional bodies and thus our physical bodies too. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you could just like speak. To- yeah. Um, one of the beautiful things, and I actually, I ran a workshop recently called Embalmed where for the first time since uh, that process that I went through in India, I shared a little bit on this because as in a lot of the kind of deep seated yoga traditions and um, practices that are there, there's this, Uh, spoken and often unspoken saying, you know, you don't share your practice. You don't share your practice. You don't share these deeper teachings or deeper experiences that you're given because if you light a light in a cave, 
it lights up the whole cave, but if you walk that little flame out into the daylight, it becomes completely diluted. And I was in Dharamshala at the beginning of the year, as I think I just mentioned before, and I had the beautiful fortune to come across this cafe that was filled with books and all these translations of the Vedas and the Upanishads. And I was reading some of the Atta on a commentary there, and they they talked about this idea of not sharing the deep practices, except the analogy that was given was uh, you, almost like you don't share your intimate relationships. You know, you don't share your kind of sexual experiences. And I stepped back and I thought, you know what? I talk to my girlfriends about sex and I think it's really important. And I think that it's time that I actually share some of these things because what I'm seeing in people who are close to me and students that are coming to me is that they're actually really needed. So some of the practices that were given to me and assisted to me throughout this teacher training that I was on by the Ayurvedic practitioners was um, a practice of self-massage of Abhyanga. And it's a way of calming your nervous system so i'm um, traditionally it's done with warm oil and it's a process of anointing yourself and for my uh, dosha if anyone knows what that is i'm very uh i've got a lot of vata in me so it's really nice to kind of ground and calm and soothe and yeah so this process of massaging and massaging special marma points you know um in like points of intelligence in the body, almost like acupressure points to just help release deeper stored traumas, deeper stored experience that have been embedded into the body, into the tissue. Uh, yogis see the body as crystallized mind. So it's really kind of playing into that and a, and a practice of self-love, you know, uh, they talk a lot in the yoga world about, how we can wire ourselves, and there's this whole kind of movement happening with optimizing our productivity and our patterning and our habits. And if you repeat something over and over and over again, it becomes a belief. That's all that a truth or a belief is, something that we've repeated enough times. And when someone tells you over and over and over again that no one will ever love you, it, it, becomes a, it became a truth for me. And so this was a practice of kind of rewiring the inner dialogue and the inner landscape that I was existing within, which then in a few years later, I was diagnosed with PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it's been a really, really turbulent, ongoing experience with yeah, balancing hormones and trying to figure out how to get everything on track. And through that, what what was happening is my body was going through extreme changes. My boobs would swell up to, they once swelled up to a size like F. They were the size of my head. I'm a really small person. I'm like five foot one, if that. And I was so self-conscious. And, you know, I think body image is this kind of um, somewhat of a battle for anyone that's grown up in the Western world with all these images, even in the Eastern world. I mean, they're so played with skin whiteners and Western ideas of beauty. It's, it's kind of ironic. I went from in high school and everyone like fake tanned, like there was no tomorrow. And then I moved to India and everyone was just putting this bleaching cream on like there was no tomorrow. It seems that the idea of beauty is anything other than what you have. I sometimes think, but this practice of Abhyanga came back because I started to feel really out of control and 
of course, when my body would start to swell or change or weight would put on or it would be somewhere that it wasn't before or my skin was breaking out. Um, it was a practice of not looking in the mirror and just seeing everything that I hated about myself, about my body, everything that I couldn't control. It was a practice of thanking my body for being able to function and look after me and know that it's doing its absolute best every day to, um, to become its optimal and most vital sense and that I was able to move through my yoga practice and I wasn't injured and I had health. Uh, so that practice kind of came back as a time of appreciating myself and appreciating my body and calming and grounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm so happy that um, it's, it's going this direction, even though obviously it's a, been a you know a huge process for you but I'm glad that you're like opening up and speaking about it because yeah I mean it completely resonates with me because through my teens I also went through anorexia and then thus have still been you know it still is affecting like in some part of my awareness um today you know like it just with that body mm. consciousness like it's just it's wild and you know even when you do strip back so much you know it's still you can get triggers and still you know when you see like you said when you see your body changing it's still a bit of a shock and you know to really um continue to like be in that vibration of acceptance <laughs> um which definitely feels so like you know hard so hard um yeah i thinking yeah. about this quote that i had like read recently um and I just like found it and I want to read it out because uh, I think it's like resonant with like how we're um, communicating now and how you were speaking about like um, the gratefulness of your body for, for functioning for you. Um, mm. It's all about, um, I'll just read it. It says the cells yeah. in your body are completely loyal to you. They work for you in harmony. We can even say they pray to you. You are their God. That is absolutely the truth. Now, what are you going to do with that knowledge? And it's like Don Miguel um, Ruiz. I've heard some. Oh, it's so beautiful. I'd never heard that one before. And um, a friend of mine shared it. So, yeah, I just felt. Hey, it's such a beautiful shift because we do spend so much time being like, oh, and I don't like the way that this looks or and I can't wear strapless dresses because of this or mm -hmm. whatever. I can't wear crop tops in yoga because of this. And um, to just being in awe of our bodies. I mean, there's trillions of cells that are all working together. And something that I talk about in my classes sometimes is this idea that, you know, in the process of yoga in this, in this beautiful space where we get to disidentify with the mind, it's a remembrance that we're not this one intelligence. We're not this voice inside of our head that's just going on with all of these stories and wanting and not wanting, whatever. We are trillions of individual intelligences that are working together and we hardly give any of it recognition because we're so head focused we're so busy minded that yeah we we get to miss out on that beautiful recognition that yeah all day the body's just doing its absolute best to help us function and feel vital and feel calm and blissful and open mm -hmm. yeah and that it's like it's natural state and its natural process is harmony you know like and it's always trying mm. to bring you back to that harmony think about like when you're sick i've been a little bit sick these last few days i felt my immune system a bit low and like 
your body is naturally trying to fight it, trying to come back to like harmony and balance again. And, you know, that's just naturally what will happen um, if you allow it to. And I think, yeah, what you were saying before about, and I think I read you sharing about this recently about the power of rest and regeneration, you know, in a culture where we're so pressured, especially as women too, you know, there's a lot of like, obviously, um, masculine energy that that dominates like society and you know really plagues a lot of like women too and can throw a lot of women out of balance if they're too um hyper focused on on the masculinity um instead of like really you know being in those that harmony between you know embracing and loving their feminine side too and and for me that feels like you know more of that slower pace and that intuitive um sensing and pleasure and um receiving rest yeah and receiving for sure and mm. knowing that, like you are you're worthy of receiving and that you need it really <laughs> to just yeah to function probably yeah yeah rest is something that i've become a little bit obsessed with i i saw something this morning and it said uh what if my favorite thing to do is nothing and I was like, oh, I love that <laughs> because um, that's something that, yeah, I've been, I've almost been prioritizing it because I, I do have a very busy mind and I have a tendency to put a huge amount of pressure on myself to, to create and to do more, have more, be more. I think, you know, we all feel this. I was listening to Judith Laster, Lancaster, actually, I think her name is, uh, speak and she's one of the founders of restorative yoga and or the modern day founders of restorative yoga i guess we could call her and she was talking about um this uh time pressured she's like i don't think that that's a word or an emotion but it, it's something that i feel and i thought oh my god me too mm. um and in last year i went and studied uh, yoga nidra with um yoga rupa rod striker who's um the most phenomenal teacher that I've had the pleasure of sitting darshan uh, with and studying under. And uh, he's really steeped in the Swami Rama lineage. And so for the past year, Nidra has become a huge, a huge practice for me. And that idea of just releasing the layers of yourself to rest in this, in a state of openness and bliss. I mean, in the tradition, it gets a lot more esoteric. It's seen that every night when we go to sleep, we actually rest back in the divine mother. Mm. And uh, when I think about rest, and I talk about it often as that, that moment right before you fall asleep and everything drops away and there's a sweetness there. Mm. That's the kind of sweetness that we're looking for in our yoga practice that, you know, even in the more powerful, stronger styles that we do, that's, that's where we're looking to aim when we get to our Shavasana, this practice of death, mm -hmm. of letting go of the gripping. I, uh, I have a friend who's an incredible Buddhist teacher and, and woman and human. I adore her greatly. She, uh, she gave me a practice quite some time ago now, and it's the practice of dying. And I do it every day. I think I'm supposed to do it 12 times a day, but God knows I don't. I don't always remember 12, <laughs> but it, it does come up in the moments when I really need to, you know, when you get frustrated or you're late for something or you get a parking ticket or something doesn't go your way or you get to the restaurant and it's closed and it just takes a breath 
and you let all the breath go and sit in that space of complete emptiness, of complete dissolution, and imagine like it was the last breath that you were ever going to release and you practice dying. And it has brought me so much peace, this ability to just let go. Mm. Mm. So you like, you just exhale all of your breath and then just kind of rest there for as long as you can. In that. Yeah. Yeah. Without force, without um, any strain, just resting. I mean, that space in between the breaths is such a sacred space across the tantric traditions, the Vedic traditions. Um, it's such a potent space. It's how we clear the churnings of the mind. It's how we return back to the, the spanda, the spontaneous pulse of life that in my tradition they say is how, how we are experiencing. It's just Shakti experiencing herself playing out, but being able to yeah, release yourself from the dance, disidentify for a moment and come back, it feels so refreshing. Yeah. Mm. I highly recommend it to anybody that's listening. Next time you feel stressed out, pretend to die. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's well, in a in a more broad way, I feel like there's so much fear of death, you know. And I feel like those I, I'm sure what you've learned um through yogic philosophy is like it's more about embracing death. And I, I feel like I haven't been to India, but they're definitely more embracing of of death, you know, physical death of, of bodies too. And aren't as kind of, I feel like in the West, we're so squirmish of, of death and talking about mm. it, being it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a place. What I, what I love about India, the best way I describe it to people is that in the West, everything happens behind closed doors, right? The streets are really quiet and clean. Mm -hmm. In India, everything happens outside of the door. The cooking, the cleaning, the shopping, the bathing, the production of textiles, like you name it, it's all happening out on the streets. And, and that includes death. Um, in Varanasi, especially, it's, you know, there's burning ghats there. And the first time I went there, it was... A little bit confronting you know to watch them the most confronting thing was actually they take the dead bodies down on their kind of priors and they pour water from the ganga into their mouths and it just kind of looked like they were drowning this already dead person and i was like Ooh. and then they put a cloth over them and they burn them and of course the cloth over the face is the first thing to burn and you really do see this this dissolution this process of the flesh dissolving and that kind of releasing, but it was so apparent that there, the spirit was not in the body anymore. Mm. So it made it, it was, yeah, it's such a intense experience. And, you know, there's the Agori Babas over there, the Agori Sadhus who are covered in ash and who wear human bones. And some of them, their only possession is a human skull. And that's what they eat out of and beg out of. And it is this reminder. Um, I've been reading an incredible book where it was wrote a cold or gory, I highly recommend it. And he talks a lot about, about that, that lineage and that tradition. But the Agori's goal is to die while they're alive so that nothing is distracting them from their connection to the divine. Whether it's, you know, a woman or beautiful food or whatever it is, they're not entangled in this constant kind of desire and aversion that we get so distracted with as, as humans. So yeah, it feels like you, 
are just, yeah, you resonate with and have studied so much into um, yogic philosophy. And I would love to dive into some more like mysticism with you because I'm, yeah, I do. I'm more like from a global perspective and I like research so many different things, but I've never really gone deep, deep, deep into like one particular lineage and I've only mm. had pieces of, of the yogic ways. Um, so I'm not even sure what the question is or like, <laughs> I, begin, I was like, there's 10,000 ways you can go from here. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just really curious. Like what are some of the main, um, the ones or the stories or the like pieces of, uh, wisdom that like you've read and experienced and like, um, yeah. That, that have really resonated with you or been like really, really powerful for you to hear and um, yeah, mm. and experience. Um, so there's, I'll talk a little bit about maybe some of the goddesses because I've had a few experiences recently where that kind of energy has really become interesting for me. And I walk this really curious line in my life where I'm, I'm such a realist and I'm so skeptical, but I'm also such a mystic at heart that, yeah, it kind of creates this interesting perspective and everything. But I really, I'm obsessed with, you know, the science behind everything. I really want to know that. And what's beautiful about a lot of the ancient teachings is that, you know, if you look at Sanskrit or if you look at the Vedas, there is still um, physicists that are studying these texts because a lot of their theories that they hold about, you know, the movements of molecules and atoms and the origins of the universe are exactly mirrored in the science that we have today. In fact, the more that modern science develops, the more that it's proving these theories and ideologies of the ancient yogis to be, to be correct. But um, the, and the idea of, of the stories and the, the gods in India, which is such a colorful scene and uh, so, so complex whenever I'm trying to explain it to people and I get really overexcited. You know, there's three main gods in that trilogy that are spoken about, uh, Shiva, the destroyer, Vishnu, the protector, and Brahma, the creator. But there's Brahma and there's the idea of Brahman, which is the ultimate, the ultimate state of consciousness, a reality. And and in the tantric tradition, which I, I lend my heart to very, very strongly, it, um, it talks a lot about Shiva and Shakti and Shiva is the ultimate and Shakti is this experience of the universe that we're having played out. And so a lot of it's nonlinear and conflicting at times of this idea of, well, who's created the universe? And if Vishnu birthed Brahma out of his belly button and Brahma dreams, the reality is it's still Shakti. Um, so to narrow all of it down, one of the, um, actually really beautiful experience that I have when I was 17 and I moved to India, we went and visited uh, a temple out in the Rajasthani desert and right near there, there was a little shop that I wandered into. I was really terrible at just constantly wandering off and never being able to be found anywhere. And there was a man in there with um, beautiful jewelry and he bound these rings around my toes and he chanted Durga mantras uh, and he told me that they would always protect me and I, st I still have them it's been about 13 years or something that they've been bound around my feet but 
and the other day I was looking at them and thinking maybe they have really carried me safely through a lot of dangerous and precarious situations I seem to find myself in. Mm. Uh, but this goddess of Durga and the, the energies are archetypes and archetypes are just um, kind of these outlines or these personas that exist in everybody's psyche and universal consciousness but in India, they're so alive because they're worshipped and chanted to every day. And they, yeah, they're said to live within us and there's different mantras and things that you can do to bring them alive. Uh, but at the end of last year, I had an experience I wrote about recently and shared where I was staying uh, in a, again, a little, little desert town way, way, way out in the desert near the border of India and Pakistan. And I woke up. Uh, to go and practice yoga very, very early up on the rooftop. And I was actually um, with a man that I was dating at the time. And my room was just down the hall. And I went to get my yoga mat so we could go up onto the roof. And in the hallway, I was grabbed by a man. And I was pushed into a little corridor. And I, you know, my mouth was closed. And I had my yoga mat kind of rolled up between us like a sword. And I had no idea what was going on for a second. And then I made eye contact with this guy. And I I realized, okay, I'm, I'm trapped prey is literally the wording that came to my mind. And I thought, shit. And, and then it was like a bolt of lightning went through my body. And it was like every cell was screaming in this battle cry. And Mahadurga is, she's the mother energy. She is the the protector and that fierceness to lay down boundaries and it's the energy of a mother lifting the car off of the baby you know that story that we've heard about it this unforeseen strength that gets revealed in this moment of protection and nurturance and uh, when i was teaching a workshop on this recently the night beforehand i was kind of thinking about it in bed and where i live we have a lot of massive cockroaches that are just native and they fly in the windows and I heard this big cockroach fly in my room and I always sleep with one leg out of the bed and I was laying there and I was trying to be really relaxed but I could see that my body was ready for if any second that bug was going to land on me to like freak out and shake it off and I thought that's the energy of Mahadurga that like any girl that gets a bug that lands on her, you know, she's like freaking out and shaking and screaming and it's like all hell breaks loose. Um, in an essence to, to protect her safety is really what she, all she's doing. Um, but it comes out of this whole like battle cry, war dance situation. Um, and I, I don't actually remember a lot of what, what happened after this kind of war cry went through my body, but I, but I won, you know, I'm, I'm five foot one and, and I won and I, I kind of broke free and I just made my way out and I was so flustered. Um, when I got into the next room and the guy that I was dating was there and he was like, what happened? And, uh, since, since then I've really noticed this energy that was never there for me in laying down boundaries and being willing to stand up and protect myself and stand up for what I need uh, and be willing to fight for that. And even if it means being confrontational or even if it means 
making myself uncomfortable or going against something that I really desire. You know, I had, and it kind of always surprises me because I am someone who is so passionate and goes with my heart and loves to, you know, fulfill my desires and live in that kind of very tantric. I'm, I'm in the world and I want to experience the pleasures of the world without having to be attached to them, but I'm not a renunciate of any kind. And, um, it, with this, actually the same gentleman that I was dating in this story, he came and lived with me in Australia and then he went back to India and I ran my yoga retreat in India at the beginning of the year. And he came to Australia to train with the Mohan family, which is a very famous uh, family that are carrying uh, the lineage on from Jaskacharya um, in Perth. And he called me and he said, I want to see you. Can, can I bring you to Perth for a weekend? And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. Like, of course I want to go. You know, we had had a bit of a situation that was, that had created us to separate and there was a bit of turmoil there, but um, I so badly wanted to go and see him and still loved him and adored him. And I heard myself saying no. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it's almost like I was listening on the conversation as well. I was as surprised as he was when I said no. And he said, why not? And I said, that's not nurturing me. That is not going to put me, I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Perth. We're going to have a wonderful time. And then the fact of the matter of why we chose to separate is still going to be there. And it's just creating more suffering for myself. So no. And, um, I have, haven't been someone that's really been one to stand up for my boundaries or stand up for, uh, what I think I deserve or anything like that. So it's been a really big shift in, you know, always looking at these stories as a way to connect us to the energy that they're teaching. You know, Durga, that energy, she is a battle goddess. She's the one that was called forth when all the other gods couldn't defeat this demon because he had a boon. Um, he had a special power that no man could defeat him. And so all the gods came together and they prayed and then they're praying was birth Maha Durga and she has she's adorned with you know all these arms and she's seen to ride a lioness or a tiger she's fierce but she's beautiful and she's loving and her fierceness comes from a space of just wanting you to be safe and nurtured and protected um, which is a really a beautiful energy to carry with us and we see it in the people who are um, next week there'll be a big stand up and uh, fight for climate change. You know, they say that energy of the activist is the energy of Maha Durga. And we're, we're seeing it a lot in people saying, you know, there's huge movements in America, of people saying enough is enough. And um, the Me Too movements, we kind of saw it there, this ability to stand up and ask for equality in women or say, I'm not okay with what's going on in in the world or in the politics and societies. And we have the power to stand up and change it. And even though there is an element of kind of fight there, which I think is such a big kind of misconception in the yoga world that, okay, we're supposed to get to this space of equilibrium and just be like accepting of everything all the time. And yoga is not about just accepting everything as it is, you know, it's, it's being willing to be brave enough and strong enough to stand up for what you believe in, to stand up for your dharma, for what you've been put here to share with the world or change in the world or give to the world. Um, and that I see that in the Durga energy and 
it's beautiful to get to kind of share it with people and watch it empower people when we um, started to weave it in on our retreat in India with my business partner, um, Philip Abartik, who's a phenomenal, phenomenal teacher. We were weaving in this idea of the goddesses and the energies and how can we embody them and let them help to recalibrate our lives and how we're turning up and these experiences that are causing us suffering and to to watch the steps that people took coming out of those classes and those workshops, you know, where they're like, I contacted this person and I told them, I, I don't want to speak to them anymore because it's actually really not nurturing me. It's causing me suffering or confusion, which, you know, in a lot of traditions is seen as the same as suffering. And so, it, yeah, it's that, that energy to be able to, to move forth. Mm, wow. <laughs> Powerful. Mm. I, like, I was like tearing up as you were speaking because it just, yeah, mm. definitely a big energy that's that yeah like you said is very alive right now um within the the activist movements and um it, you know awakening that activists within all of us for you know whatever mm. causes are closest to our heart and sometimes it yeah it does feel so overwhelming you know with the state of the world and with how much is not in balance but i just i feel like everyone has like certain things that they're a natural activist towards like that they really have so much energy to want to put towards and like recalibrate and you know in and help with and we all have different different areas to um really like be the activist in and yeah yeah wow. and even you know it's that same idea that's in the foundation of tantra the microcosm and the macrocosm as much as i saw this and like feeling willing to communicate and stand up in my external relationships and lives it was so much more of what was happening on an internal level like the ability to to notice i'm having a thought that's unkind about myself or judgmental and whatever it is and rather than just beat out the story or played out it was like this sword this sword of discernment um the goddess kali is born from maha durga who is this, you know, she's known as the dark one and she wields this sword of discernment. It was just like, just cut it out. It's mm -hmm. building the strength. And this is something that my teacher Rod Stryker talks about a lot as well. Like we do this practice so that we have the strength. As soon as we see something that's not serving us, cut it out. Mm -hmm. Like when he says it, it just sounds so simple. And yet, you know, I somehow have to constantly struggle to get my bed self to bed on time every night. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, those little things that are nourishing us that we kind of let sleep by and then we're just functioning off coffee and all of those things. But it's, <laughs> yeah, it's noticing, you know, in your thoughts or is it complaining? Listen to yourself. Mm -hmm. I worked for a company a long time ago that had this beautiful rule. You could complain about something once, but if you complained about it twice, you either had to state aloud that you would stop complaining or you had to act on it. You had to do something about it. Mm -hmm. um, so whenever I kind of fall into that, like complaining or hear people complaining, I, I kind of come back to that. But I see that as the energy of Durga and I, I hold her so close to my heart. She, I've got like stickers, like a little high school kid on all of my, <laughs> my notebooks and things like that. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's, it's definitely an energy that's yeah awakening in a lot of people and I'm sure a lot of women who are you know it's predominantly women who listen to this podcast so I'm sure they oh, 
will resonate and, um, you know, feel that energy within themselves. And um, I feel like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of like ideals kind of placed upon, especially like women in society to, to not, um, you know, be too loud or aggressive or, you know, like it, I, I find even, you know, for myself, it's, it's a lot more safe for me to rest in um, sadness and depression rather than to express myself in a, in a more like angry, passionate sort of way. I find that I've definitely recognized that that's an area to, um, that I do still need to lean into and become more safe and comfortable in instead of just people pleasing, which, you know, we, we all tend to do from time to time, but, um, definitely. <laughs> I, um, I was listening to the Lama Tender. He came to Sydney and my friend of mine who actually gave me the pretending to die uh, meditation is a very good friend and student of his. And he was talking about anger. And I think that emotions are, they're actually giving us so much information. You know, anger in itself, it shows us what we're really passionate about and it shows us where our boundaries are. Um, and he talks about anger. It's not this idea of eradicating anger and eradicating all emotions. You know, we need anger to get things to change. It is a, it's a potent, it's a, um, what do we call it? A potential force of change. He says, but if there's a tree that is sick in the forest, it needs to be burnt down. And so that's kind of like that usage of anger. He says, but if you don't apply your anger properly, you'll burn down the whole forest. And I think that's where this practice of discernment and yoga and kind of self-regulating comes in. I had an experience years ago now where like I never, ever used to get angry. I grew up in a house where we didn't really get angry. We didn't talk about our problems. We spent a lot of time pretending like everything was okay, which I've, I've been a big instigator of change, I think, in the past um, few years, we had this bizarre experience two years ago where we kind of came to family Christmas and realized that, you know, one of my uncles was really sick and had, um, he's got early onset dementia and me my brother and my sister were talking to him and he was like, he weighed almost nothing. He'd lost, you know, 20, 30 kilos. He was, he looked really sick and he was just talking in circles and we were all looking at each other like, what the hell is going on? I walked inside and cornered my mother and was like, what's going on? She's like, oh yeah, he's really sick. Also, your other uncle's not really well. Um, he's going into a mental institution to deal with a few things. And, and I was like, why haven't you told us any of this? <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I never, I never really got angry even through, you know, this abusive relationship or I... Um, had a few terrible relationships. I dated a guy that cheated on me nonstop and I never got angry. I used to just blame myself and I was so good at walking around pretending like everything was okay. It was like a superpower that I had. Um, where inside everything was so not okay, but it was just this learned behavior that gets embedded into so many of us. You know, don't air your dirty laundry and don't get too upset and don't be too feisty and you know, play nice and whatever it is. Um, and then a few years ago, I had this experience where I had a guy kiss me actually in a yoga room, in a yoga studio that I work out when I had specifically been really clear to him, like that, like, here's my boundary. And he crossed it pretty much. 
um, and I was enraged and I thought, wow, this is, this is what anger feels like. And it was kind of this strange awakening. And at first I didn't really know what to do with it or how to communicate it or how to move it. But, but yeah, it is something that's starting to be stirred up in, in society for sure with what we see in the movement. And it's beautiful to see a lot of women um, kind of take it on and really create a big voice for themselves and a big movement because kind of on a global scale, if you step back and look, I mean, for me, a really big thing that I woke up and I was like, yeah, I'm pissed off about this is the um, criminalization of abortion through some of the states of America, as in they were, they passed legislation to criminalize it, not to make it more acceptable or more supportive of women and I think there was like two women in the Senate that voted on it compared to 50 or 55 men or whatever the ratio was. It was just so obscure. And I thought, like, how can this be happening? And there was this massive uproar from, you know, not even the feminist movement of America, just all women of being like, enough's enough. And mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, that's right. About time. <laughs> like, come on, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. For our own bodies. Like, <laughs> mm, Yeah. Uh, yeah, that kind of stuff I get like I, I yeah. see I see the use of anger there and without without us getting angry about it perhaps nothing will change you know mm -hmm. yeah I'm not sure where it's at now like if that movement really moved anything um do you know any more info on that um I don't but I do know that you know, that my sister is a big writer and she's the one that's always keeping me up to date on all this stuff. Um, there's, there's still a lot of momentum going on in America on um, women's rights and kind of all rights at the moment, the big Black Lives Matter movement and everything like that. I think it's kind of coming to this crescendo where there's going to need to be a really deep change. Mm -hmm. Actually, in this idea of that Durga, that kind of anger, and Kali, this goddess that I mentioned before, who is the goddess of darkness, and she d destroys things in your life um, to create space for growth. Mm -hmm. We, in the Vedic tradition, um, everything moves in cycles. They see this, and as a kind of society, we move through cycles known as yogas, which last uh, hundreds of thousands of years, but right now, we are in the cycle of the Kali Yoga, which is the age of destruction. Mm. You know, the age where um, they talk about people with bad morals are rising to power. And, you know, it's, especially in America, if you want to kind of pick that out as a subtext, it's, it's, really, it's really happening over there. But we're about to move into this age of of awakening and consciousness rising, which I think, I mean, I know that you're quite uh, embedded into uh, that essence of movement and rising that's happening. And I, mm -hmm. I am too, obviously as a yoga teacher. So I, I see it and I, I feel it that, yeah, people are becoming more and more aware and open. And I have faith that we're going to create a lot of positive change on this earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just, it's just reaching and rippling out to so many other areas. I mean, I guess you would see from, from your teaching, um, just how yoga has, you know, revolutionized so many places 
in the world and you know so many areas of society and so many types of people and um yeah how do you see her as like a um a force for change in the world and because obviously it's your life's work and um alongside with the philosophy and um obviously the Vedic, Vedic traditions too and everything else that comes along with it but yeah the, the the physical practice of yoga too I guess you know if people even have the entryway into it from that perspective it's you know it still is, is creating a lot of um impactful like yeah mm. I think kind of on that channel I, I used to think when I was first a, a teacher six seven years ago something that was so massive for me that just blew my mind and changed my life. And I thought if I can just share this with everyone, I'll be happy was that you're not the voice inside of your head. You're the person listening. It's this idea of disassociation, right? The mind is a place where we carry all of the pressure and the expectations and the busyness and the comparison and all the suffering that goes along with that. And if people can just even come into the room and, connect to their breath for an hour, that's aiding that process of disidentifying with the mind, um, disidentifying with that conditioned psyche to experience wholeness, to experience the vastness of consciousness and slowly begin that awakening. But like tomorrow I go, uh, I, I teach yoga. I teach yoga in a lot of um, studios and private clients and I'm so lucky to get to share it in places like India and at festivals and on retreats and workshops that I run um, but actually one of my favorite classes that I run is I teach the New South Wales Roads and Maritime Emergency Response Team and the tow truck drivers so I go out to the tow truck warehouse and I teach them there in their full high-res gear and everything um, and it's so different to the yoga that I teach in studios and everything. And it's, it really does kind of bring it down to that essence of just getting people to connect and breathe and watching the magic in that. When I first had these guys, they wouldn't take their still toe cap boots off. Even though I was like, guys, we're doing yoga. And I was like, okay. I thought when I first arrived, I thought that I was, um, teaching it to the head office there. And I, I walked up to the head office. I was like, hi thinking like, you know, it came through a corporate client situation. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to teach yoga. And they were like, oh no, the address that you have is for the warehouse. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be in with the truckies. I was like, okay, cool. I've got this. And I, and I walked down and convincing a whole bunch of tow truck drivers to do yoga was harder than I thought it would be at first. And yeah, for six months, it was like me convincing them and then see me come and they knew that like they weren't allowed to smoke ciggies while they did yoga so they would smash a pre-yoga ciggy they'd have their like yoga mat in one hand be like we'll be there in a minute miss and like smash those ciggies um <laughs> classic so great um and yeah the last time I went in and had them like they they want to do it now and it went from me feeling like a kindergarten school teacher that was like if you guys poke each other one more time i swear to god you're gonna have bad karma for the rest of the day kind of thing um just to get them to stop making jokes and talking to each other and i tried bringing in um speakers with calm music once and this one guy was there and he's like 
miss this sounds like funeral music and they were like yeah oh my god <laughs> so the calm the calm music went away but um yeah we do we always do restorative right towards the end of the practice and i turn the fluorescent lights out and just get them to do really really simple pranayama exercises you know follow their breath or do almost a yoga nidra style experience for them and they've just become so much calmer and more aware and more um yeah, like healthier the choices that they make i mean I, I go there with the nutritionist as well which is amazing but just to see the journey some of them have come off um diabetic medication and just have had complete kind of physical makeovers of their body from simple things like not drinking soft drinks and smoking ciggies all day and you know they'll come to me with injuries that they have from work and to give them stuff that they can go home and practice and then they come back these like big trucker guys and they're like i've been doing the one that you show me at home every night and i'm not having that problem with my back anymore and uh, i'm thinking of going to a yoga studio near my house i'm like oh cool that's so cool mm -hmm. i love that i love that so yeah so i'm like anyone can do it exactly yeah i'm technically hired by the government there which is incredible that it's reaching it's reaching these kinds of people. I mean, and that's the thing about corporate yoga. I mean, I love teaching in studios because I can go so deep and esoteric. And some of my students have been with me for a really long time. So I can kind of get very lavish in all of those deep, deep teachings and ancient texts mm -hmm. um, that I love and adore in the mythology. But teaching people in offices is it's so rewarding because there's sometimes the people that will never go out and seek this. Yeah. They'll never make the time to go to a yoga class. Um, and so it's so, and they're the ones that need it the most, right? They're like in these offices living these really stressed out lives and just going from one box to another box to another box, you know, mm. like from their house to their car to an office, you know, not touching the floor in between. <laughs> just so disconnected like yeah. not connected to the food they're eating because they're looking at computers while they eat their food and um just little things like that getting people to just be embodied and aware it's it's amazing what that can spark or connect them to in the potential of their consciousness mm -hmm. there's a um there's a teaching in the tradition that if it's a possibility within you if it's something that you're able to achieve it's it's the soul's desire to play that out mm. you know and i think that's why so many of us feel unfulfilled in our lives because their their soul's desire is not to work in an office nine to five and make mm. spreadsheets for their life but it's fulfilling another deep-seated human desire to feel safe or secure or whatever that is yeah. um but yeah, getting people a little bit more connected to what's actually bringing them joy and fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To speak to that a bit further, I guess, like, how do you see um, the idea of purpose or Dharma? Like, how, do, how does that resonate with you? And I guess, um, yeah, through your teachings too and, and, just from your own intuitive sense, like how do you see purpose generally and then also your own, your own purpose or Dharma in life? Um, purpose. I think 
um, it's a big word. It's almost like it, it is. I know. It's like I almost feel so cliche, being like each of us has got this individual uniqueness that's here to be shared with the world. Um, but I, th- I think, I think that's true. Um, and. And if you kind of look at it more of this Dharma, I mean, Dharma across the different traditions, it's got a few different meanings, but for those of you who haven't heard the word before, it's um, this, it's seen as like a cosmic law of what you're here to play out. Mm-hmm. The kind of karma that you need to act out or clear or create in the world. Um, and I, I really do believe that my Dharma is to teach. I, it, it makes me feel so fulfilled and makes me feel of service. And when I go away on holiday, I, I miss it. Um, I just get to a point where I'm like, oh, I need to be, I need to be sharing this with people because I, otherwise I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilling what I believe I'm here to, um, to give to the world and uh, share with the world. But I did this really interesting exercise um, I went to a Lululemon conference in Melbourne a little while back and actually at a meeting yesterday, we happened to do the exercise again. And there's a list of all of these words and, you know, we have a few minutes to circle all the words that are connected to our values. So it was an exercise in values, um, you know, and everything was there. I even started like adding a few. Um, some people it's safety or it's pleasure or, I mean, Kind of every adjective under the sun was there and and then you distill that down you still it down until you had three and I realized that one of my values actually my number one the both times I did this was joy um joy and belonging and adventure which it kind of is everything combined into my India retreats and the retreats that I create under this um, the brand that we started is called Return to Essence Um, and part of me does believe that our our essence is joy but for a long time when I was a teacher especially because I came to this path and I was a teacher so young I was really self-conscious of that uh, that and I mean it was just um, kind of a deep uh, what we would call like a vicharya, a deep um, seated belief that I had of insecurity around my personal intelligence and being seen to be dumb or whatever, ditzy. Um, and a lot of that was connected to being joyful because I am naturally light and joyful and laughing and I don't mind to make fun of myself and I don't mind to make fun of yoga, um, you know, and yeah have that humor and that just it's something that I embody so much Mm -hmm. but I was suppressing it because I thought like people are just gonna think like I'm ditzy and I've got no idea what I'm doing and I'm just like a dumb blonde yoga teacher um yeah and I've come to see that it's it's a gift that I have to to embody joy and to bring that out in people um to yeah to share that my my friend M. Crookshank who's the teacher that I keep actually speaking of who gave me the pretending to die um teaching mm-hmm. and everything she always says you're my yang to my yin she's a Buddhist teacher and a yin teacher predominantly like she just teaches yin and um you know she's 
40 or so. I've always had a lot of friends who are a lot older than I am. Mm, um, yes. And we've been really, really good friends for the last eight years or so. And she always says, like, you, you bring my joy. You are my joy. You remind me to, to dance around and to be crazy. And, um, you know, whenever I'm with her, I'm like, we're going on an adventure. We've got to go and get something from the supermarket kind of thing. It's that, that yeah. playfulness that you have when you're looking after children. It's like, you can't just tell them we're going to hang the washing out. You've got to make it fun. Yeah. Um, and I think we are missing that so so much in our modern lives we've become so serious and dredged down by the achieving and everything that we need to kind of go and the adding up and all of this like presenting an image of our lives on instagram that's so perfect yeah um to just yeah to to connect to that so uh, in a long-winded way of saying that maybe my dharma is connected to joy it's something that i'm i'm seeing more and more um we have this thing at my house we have living room dance parties almost every day me and my girlfriend that i live with and i put on like epic disco music and we just dance around uh there's a woman called kat jones that i met down in this conference in melbourne uh she's an ambassador for lululemon she's a phenomenal speaker she has an incredible story and she created something called zero fucks tuesday and and it's just that it's she films herself and it became this movement, this hashtag on Instagram of filming yourself dancing because it's something that we do get so insecure about. Like most people won't dance if they haven't had a few drinks or whatever. Um, but when you're dancing, you're not worried about the conversation that you've got to have with Tim at work tomorrow. You're not worried about the email or you're not worried about what your hair looks like. You're just embodied and you're moving and it's joyous and it's expressive and it's fun. And, I grew up in a house where dorky dancing, especially in the living room, is, was a regular thing. And I'm so blessed for that. My family will still let me throw um, disco dance parties when we go for dinner. And mm-hmm. they're incredible in that way. Um, yeah, so maybe one day I'll figure out how to share that with people. We do shaking yeah. and stuff in class sometimes. But, but yeah, a little bit more joy. It was funny. I had seen a really good friend of mine who's an incredible, he's like a shaman and a musician and he's very special and strange human. Mm-hmm. And he reminded me of a conversation that we had a while ago where I think I'd been asked actually to be interviewed for a podcast or something. And I had said to him, I feel really shy that I almost need to like hide parts of myself or like tame the sassiness down. Um, or I feel like people are going to look at my Instagram and I put so much of my magic on there and the poetry and the, the tantric text and everything like that, that is such a big part of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe I'm not showing enough of the like sassy real shit that I also believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, Oh, actually I'm being interviewed for this podcast tomorrow. And he's like, Oh, are you worried about, these things that you were speaking to me about a few months ago. And I said, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm really not, I'm, I'm happy to kind of incorporate that in and enjoy that lightheartedness, you know, even among yoga teachers, one of them was sick the other day and I was like, oh, your chakras just not, must not be aligned. You ought to like drink some honey and move on with your day or whatever. And she, we had a giggle, um, mm-hmm. you know, just to, especially it can get so hot and heavy in 
all the tradition and the yoga and the seriousness of it all mm -hmm. uh that it, it is nice to yeah remember to be a little bit lighthearted and and enjoy in the, in that sense of joy mm -hmm. as well comes pleasure for me you know i i was thinking I, I like things to be beautiful. I like to make the spaces that I'm in beautiful really affects me. And sometimes I'll go places and be like, why the hell have they put these like disgusting floral sheets on here or yes, whatever? Like yes. they're ruining the whole vibe of this place. How could they not know? Or yeah, um, I feel just you like little objects and things like that. One of my girlfriends, Beck, she's um, got such incredible taste and she's a director and she's in a uh, location manager and she always laughs at how like, harsh I can be on things. I'm like, I just, I saw that bright neon cup. Oh, I went to a friend's house the other day and he tried to make me tea in this neon green Telstra cup. And in my head, I just wanted to take the cup and smash it against the walls. Like, it's so fucking ugly. But I very calmly just said, do you have a different teacup that I can have my tea in? And he was like, yes, you'll probably like this one. And pulled out this like handcrafted, like beautiful, um, something from Byron Bay probably and yeah. I was like oh yeah that'd be perfect thank you so much but <laughs> to just accept that it's okay to want things to be beautiful and enjoy beautiful things sure. but it's you know I'm not acting I'm not smashing everything that I think is ugly for the record mm -hmm. um but so, yeah just be okay with those all those light-hearted parts mm -hmm. definitely yeah I completely agree I'm like I'm not that into astrology, but I, I definitely resonate with my chart. I'm like Taurus and then also Taurus rising. And I feel like what I've like gleamed from, I don't know, like a reading that I had is like, I'm here to like, uh, my essence is really like into the groundedness of like pleasure and life and mm. like, all of the, I guess that's why I'm into like, yeah, creating and sharing about like beautiful rituals and you know like all of these yeah. things do to like enhance yeah, how can we make life a little bit more magic exactly and like on the day-to-day -day, like not some you know out there sort of thing it's like how, but how we how can we bring that into our daily life in just little ways you know in little moments mm. in, in like you said like having special things around you like creating a space that that feels nourishing to you um, yeah, living in that space. The space is really important. Is really important for me, and and also that idea of you know, romance yourself. I um, I had I was it would have been last year. I I was going through that whole kind of journey with the PCOS and learning how to love myself and the ever changing ebbs and flows of my body that we spoke about earlier, and. I started to watch how harsh I was with myself and how harsh my expectations were and how unkind I was. And I thought, I'm going to dedicate this whole year to softness. If my body's going to get softer because whatever hormone is just saying like, yeah, let's like store all the fat here and whatever. I was like, cool. I, I, I need to learn how to be soft and how to accept softness. And my, my house has got a massive frangipani tree out the front of it and every day I would collect all the flowers and I would fill my bed with them mm. and it was just this act of like building myself a shrine to sleep in and romance myself and not just you know clean my space when someone's coming over so that it's nice for them let that be a conscious act to worshiping myself and um for many reasons my bed 
is a really special place for me. It's a shrine. There's no technology allowed in the bed or near the bed or mm -hmm. um, anything like that. But it was amazing just this kind of simple act of sleeping with flowers in the bed, just how much that changed the way I treated myself and the way that I thought about myself. Mm. Yeah. Have you seen that, like, um, just incorporating that more and more into your world um, and that pleasure and that connection to your body and, and acceptance of your body? Have you felt that that's um, helped your PCOS? And, like, yeah, where are you at with that journey now? Um, oh, that's a good question. <laughs> in, in, in a way, yes. Um, I feel, I mean, there's kind of a conversation that I have within myself where sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough to, to make it better. Like I'm not taking all the herbs or, right. um, you know, I've been given so many different remedies and, you know, I actually saw a friend of mine today. She's like, what you need to do is go and buy the highest level of Manuka honey. And then tonight, glad wrap Manuka honey on your face. And hopefully in the morning, that'll help put some of your skin. Cause I get um, acne, cystic acne from the PCOS. And yeah. I was like, okay. She's like, it might work. I'm like, it might, or I might just have really sticky shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you name it. I feel like I've tried it. Mm. Um, it's, it's definitely been a, a journey and it's so kind of hard to control, but I saw an incredible naturopath last year that helped me feel like I w did have a little bit more control over what was going on and bring things into regulation. But my skin is still something that I can't seem to control or balance out. And I get, I used to get really, really upset about it. And every now and then I still do get like pretty upset about it. And I'm like, it's my face and I don't want people to look at me and I've got to stand up in front of people and talk about yoga. And I'm supposed to be this, you know, stands or this like spokesperson for vitality and I don't look vital. And, um, but I kind of experience it now more as something that is happening to me in a way that I'm not identifying it so much. So not in that kind of people are always talking about like, life's not happening to you. You're creating it. Not like that more, you know, if I've got pimples on my face or something, I'm like, Oh, it's, it's almost like something that's outside of me. That's visiting, mm. not something that is me. And Oh my God, that like, you know, it's this big drama now. I'm like, Oh, I've just got this like stuff on my face. Okay. Whatever. Mm. Um, but but yeah, it's kind of an ongoing journey of learning what are the right herbs to take. And um, yeah, I, th I think a lot of it is, is energetic, which is where the resting came in as well. Um, you know, our lack of sleep and our obsession with coffee and productivity and activity and um, this permanent state of adrenal fatigue, I believe that we are all in mm. is is based in the foundation of your hormones. They control the sleep cycles and everything within you. And so as someone who had insomnia a lot, I uh, struggled when I was younger with insomnia and I'm naturally a night owl, but get up at crazy o'clock in the morning to teach yoga or do yoga. I'm trying to teach myself to get to bed earlier and just seeing how much that affects the fundamental Productions of the body. 
Yeah. So it kind of comes down to this basis of, yeah, the, the fundamental essence of rest, of nurturing yourself, of being able to set boundaries that are going to make yourself feel vital. And in the practice of Ayurveda, which is a sister science to yoga, there's so much um, in balancing hormones and so much, you know, I take a few Ayurvedic herbs now as well, um, that helps to incorporate that because in the hand of yoga and especially in Tantra, we're activating all of these energies to, to progress our spiritual development and awakening. But if the vessel isn't strong, it can't hold that fire, that potency mm. uh, or potential that we're building within us. So it's, it's kind of the boring stuff in a way, you know, all of these fancy kriyas and things that you can do with, you know, your practice and your breath and your headstands and whatever. Um, compare that to like, just make sure you go to bed on time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the most um, colorful part of the practice that people want to kind of drive towards, but it's so important, which is why I've been experimenting a lot with the nidra and the idea of rest and receiving and restoring how is that affecting my cycle and what's kind of being experienced in my body? I went to a um, kinesiologist actually for the first time recently, and she gave me a lot of insight into the physical manifestation of a psychological blockage around completing cycles. Uh, that was an experience that I had when I was from zero to one years old. Uh, so that was something really interesting that I kind of got led into right before I went away to Bali that actually kind of made a lot of sense when she like mapped out my life. I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Um, and you know, kind of then related into like control issues and things with food and everything kind of circled into this idea around cycles. Um, but so yeah, where, where it is at the moment is I'm still learning to dance with it. Yeah. Hmm. I think you're such an incredible being and I feel really Thank grateful so to be much. speaking with you. Thank you so much for um, inviting me. It's such a privilege to get to come on and, and to share with your audience. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love for you to share. Um, yeah. I'd love to hear more about the retreats that you offer um, <laughs> and uh, any other ways that, that people can connect with you, but maybe just um, begin with the retreats and um, what you have upcoming. I, I saw that you have one in India next year um, too. So yeah. Anything you feel to share? Yeah. About? So um, the, the space that you can find um, me in for the retreats, it's called return to essence. So return to essence retreats.com and we offer them throughout Australia and uh, we're going to be in India in March next year. That one's actually sold out. Um, so we're looking at going up into the Himalayas uh, towards the end of next year, which will be different to the one that we run in a little town called Pushkar, which is a really, really magical space. Um, and yeah, they're all about this mix of yoga and adventure and creating space in your life to step back from, I almost imagine it to be like a painting or a tapestry that we're weaving or creating and retreats are a circuit breaker where we get to step back 
from our lives and look at, you know, how are we weaving together our everyday experience? What are we creating there? Um, and what, what, is it what I want? Is it aligning with what's making me happy or what I want to create in the world or what I want to create long-term? And we get to, to dive into a lot um, more of the kind of deeper and profound teachings that can always be fit into an hour-long class. Um, so we really, really enjoy doing those. I have partnered with an incredible woman called Phyllida Bartik who runs them alongside of me. Uh, we're going to be in the Blue Mountains in November for a weekend. There's still spots available on that if you want to come uh, soak up a kind of spring-themed um, space out in nature. We're going to be in waterfalls and bushwalking and foraging, and there'll be Ayurvedic workshops and yoga nidra workshops and sound healing up there. And then uh, I think we're about to release in August. We're going to be in Sicily. So definitely a little bit more of the, um, the pleasure and the soul filling. Um, Italy is such a beautiful space for that. But near Mount Edna in Sicily, there's, um, it's an energetic vortex there. And so we'll be heading over there. So for those of you who are Australian that want to escape the winter with us, definitely um, come along or you can follow us on Instagram, Return to Essence Retreats or Eliza Giles Yoga, all the stuff. We're always inviting you guys to come along with us on those channels and on those journeys. Mm, amazing. And for Sydney siders, how can they mm. come to your more regular um, classes and workshops and things? I'm, I live in Manly and I am currently teaching at just about every yoga studio on the Northern beaches. <laughs> um, so I'm teaching, I teach at a place called Modern Movement and Key in Manly and Freshwater and Power Living and divine flow and all the workshops I have up on my website, Eliza Giles, my Instagram, Eliza Giles Yoga. Uh, I am yeah, about to release a few really exciting things, a Koshas workshop that will be happening in November, which are the Koshas are the layers of our being. So we're going to journey through um, the physical body and the chronic body and the wisdom body right down into this kind of core holdings of was often spoken about as the Anandamaya Kosha, as a bliss body, but it's also where we've got these um, deep vasanas, these deep seeds or desires within us, which can actually create, you know, they're said to be the root causes of all of our suffering, which is kind of nice to know that all of our suffering just channels back into these three separate seeds. And if we can mm -hmm. unravel those, we're, we're on the path towards much less suffering or enlightenment even. Um, so that will be a really awesome experience. And then there'll be, I'll be releasing a workshop series soon called the source of Shakti. We're actually going to look into the different deities and the mythology and the stories and the embodiment and the practices and the mantras of those, uh, which is something that it was actually came as a request from some of my students, which it's kind of like, I think I mentioned earlier, like a secret love affair that I have because it is a bit woo-woo and out there. And now mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very happy to say I'm not, I'm not needing to hide it anymore. I'm really excited to be able to share and facilitate people connecting to that. For sure. I mean, I feel like, well, I personally like gain and glean so much through learning about um, 
particularly ancient goddesses, but just stories and mythology of, of ancient times. Like I feel like it really helps me to understand myself better and um, connect more to a sense of timelessness um, beyond just yeah. this, you know, this physical life. And it's, it's so beautiful to just, um, you know, as, as you definitely like, who knows about uh, like different cultures or times that we maybe have incarnated in and, you know, to just like follow those threads of things that, that feel inspiring to us or like deities that we really resonate with and, and why. And um, I, yeah. So that, that sounds so intriguing and beautiful. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And they kind of cover like all different aspects of our, um, of our psyche and our experience. You know, there's Durga and Kali who are that kind of more fierce, destructive. And then there's Lakshmi, this goddess of abundance and Saraswati, the goddess of language and, and music. And, and um, I am personally obsessed with stories. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, there's something about being shown a richness of a life beyond my own and being open to that. I think every man I've ever dated is probably slightly traumatized by me just poking them every night before we go to bed. I'm like, can I have a bedtime story? Can I have a bedtime story? Can you tell me a story? Can you tell me a story? Yeah. Um, but I just, yeah, there's something so, so beautiful in storytelling and being able to, to relate, come back to that feeling of, of belonging. You know, we're all on a journey. We're all, we're all doing the best that we can and trying to make our way through this epic of our life. And when we hear stories, we can learn so much about um, the wisdom that other people have threaded through theirs or that these deities demonstrate or hold within them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been so beautiful to dive into your story. And I think that's definitely a huge intention for me beginning this podcast and sharing through this platform. It's just, I've, I also am so enthralled with like people's unique stories and, you know, and the way that they communicate too. And um, yeah, so I, I'm really grateful mm -hmm. that, that you're sharing yours on here and um, you know, many Thank of the Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's so many more. I mean, it's so interesting what gets revealed in, in one conversation, you know, but I'm sure we could have another conversation. It'll be I know. completely different, you know, <laughs> completely different areas would be, you know, and there were so many different areas that I could have um, spoken to also, like as you were speaking, but I just really wanted to let you like <laughs> flow with okay. how you're going. But, you know, there were so many different tangents we could have gone on. And like with everyone that I speak to, there could be just a part two, three, four, five, six, you know, mm. I'm always like, can we do another one? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I would, I would love to experience your, your teachings in person. And I really hope that it, I'm sure it will happen at some point. Um, Definitely. You know, come back to Australia sometime or, you know, could end up on one of your retreats, <laughs> maybe the Himalaya one. Yeah, that would be ideal. Come along. It's going to be super magic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you again. I'm grateful. And I'll leave obviously all the links to your website and retreat website and um, social media and all the ways that people can um, continue to connect to you and receive from amazing you. amazing well I look I look forward to creating with you again sometime in the future Paul yeah thank you mm -hmm.